to the 45th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Etner. How you doing, Roger? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So it's that time of year again. It's earnings season, and we have results from AT&T and Verizon. So far, it's looking like a pretty good quarter for wireless. Uh, one thing I would mention is that the year-over-year comparisons this time around are pretty favorable because this time last year we were in the depths of the pandemic and stay-at-home orders and such. So I think you know the year-over-year comparisons take with a little bit of grain and salt, but I think it's still fair to say that these are pretty strong results. Do you want to start with Verizon? Sure. Verizon had very strong results, 275,000 postpaid phone ads, you know, near record low churn, unless, you know, if you ignore the two pandemic churn events, then it's even record lows. Yeah, it, it, it looked really good, but ARPU was flat, right? One of the things that's interesting about Verizon is they're very ARPA focused, right? So they don't really call out ARPU but you can, you can build it out based on the numbers that they provide, and so on the consumer side at least. So ARPA was up, uh, I believe it was up 4.5%, but if you look at average number of lines over the period, you can pull out ARPU, and that's basically flat. Yes, they, they traded you know, profitable metered line for equally profitable premium lines. Well, and I, I think that's the fundamental part of the equation, right? So, like, they're really pushing all these new premium lines, and they've had, I think, pretty good success with that so far. The subtext there, though, is that the, the basic unlimited lines probably, at least by our estimate, pull in less money than the legacy metered lines do, right? And so yep. it's really important for them to make sure that when folks do change their plans, if they're going off a metered plan, they join a premium plan and not a basic unlimited plan. Yeah, because otherwise they trade down in, in revenue. And that's not the the idea, right? And then we saw, you know, Verizon's that used to be traditionally very strong business segment starts to peter out. And that would be very concerning for me if I would be them. Yeah, so I mean I think you know what we've seen over the last handful of quarters is that business was pulling a lot more than its weight in terms of total net ads, right? So even though business may make up you know, roughly 20% of the number of lines at Verizon, they were pulling in, you know, almost in some cases, over half of the net ads. And that wasn't necessarily the case this time around, right? So consumer had 350,000 nets, business had 178,000 nets. So about you know, one third. So they're still pulling more than their weight relative to the representation of lines in the base. But it's not as strong. The other thing I thought was was pretty notable from the business numbers was that of those 178,000 nets, only 44% of those were phone, right? And so less less strength around you know the, the more valuable phone accounts or accounts that are typically more more valuable and so forth. Yeah, and when we look then also at 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 and T, their business wireless and strategic services or or strategic solutions number went down as well, and or, or went down, and the overall their business segment was under pressure. So you could almost triangulate that AT and T didn't have. Well, they had like a really spectacular consumer quarter, right? 
if I read the tea leaves, the business sector didn't seem to do that that brilliantly. But AT&T's consumer side, it's like, we predicted it here first that these promotions are sticking around. They're sticking around. They're playing offense, and it pays off, right? Well, let's stick on Verizon for a second, though, because you mentioned promotions. And I think one of the things that was really notable about this quarter, and I think one of the things that probably drove some of their net ads was this you know, greatest upgrade promotion ever, I think they called it, which they actually ended on the day that they reported quarterly earnings, right? So we've said for quite some time that we think AT&T is going to continue to, to offer retention promotions uh, as long as it makes financial sense. Verizon, it seems, decided that that didn't necessarily make sense or it wasn't something they were, con- they were comfortable continuing to do. So in the future, it'll be interesting to see how these two players kind of toggle on and off in terms of retention promotions, I think, you know. Yeah, and, and, and acquisition promotions, because they, they have now become one and the same. And that's the innovation that, that AT&T brought, right? This would have been like an, an uncarrier move, you know, a year or two ago. Now it's an AT&T move, which I find quite interesting, right? But yeah, Verizon, good job, right? Yeah, I thought it was a solid quarter. And I think, you know, one of the other things I think that's that's a real bright spot for them this quarter is that the gross ads have showed up again, right? So gross ads were up 42% over last year. Obviously, you know, the height of the pandemic, a lot of stores were closed, et cetera. But uh, to drive those nets, you really do need to, you know, have the, the gross ads part of the equation. So to the extent that I think churn is probably likely to creep up a little bit across the carriers, to continue to deliver nets, you really need to, to have high gross ads, and their gross ads seem to have come back this quarter, so that's good. Yeah. And AT&T, well, kicking ass, kicking names, right? Yeah. So let, let me just run through the numbers real quick with AT&T. So they had 1.1 million postpaid net ads. 68% of those were phones. So remember, phone is much more valuable typically as a net ad uh, compared to like a tablet or something of that nature. Last year, this time, they actually lost 154,000 nets and 151,000 phones, right? So they're swinging from pretty pretty bad to pretty great, uh, honestly. Yeah, but last year, there were a lot of the Keep America Connected uh, accounts that they took out, and that pushed them negative, which then when they added them back into last in the what third quarter created this massive surprise right mm-hmm. yeah so at least last year a little bit of of gymnastics going on when it comes to the numbers so i mean i think that accounts for a portion of it but it's still yeah. i think year over year a very very big difference right very big difference no doubt about it similarly gross ads not up as much as, as verizon at 27 percent, but then you know also remember that Gross ads at AT&T didn't fall as much in Q2 of last year as well. So it's it's a better kind of comparison there. 5% service revenue growth year over year. Equipment up 31%. So as as you offer these promotions where folks get to trade in, and, and especially existing customers, and your equipment goes up as well. So And churn was lower than Verizon's, both for, for phone and overall postpaid. Right, for the second quarter in a row, which is, I think, notable as well. So much for network superiority that Verizon talks about all the time. And also what I found quite impressive was they had 174,000 
prepaid phone that adds in 297 overall prepaid. So I don't know who has who has prepaid IoT devices, but there must be 120,000 people more this quarter, right? Right. So all this growth did come at a little bit of a cost, and, and we actually saw this at Verizon too, but service margin for both carriers was down, right? So for Verizon, or for AT&T, service margin went down about a, a 125 basis points. But absolute profitability in dollars and cents went up. Went up, yep. So it's a smaller piece of a bigger pie, right? Yeah, well, the, the pie gets bigger, and it just costs money, more money. And that shows you how competitive the market is, that the only way you can grow is by investing more, right? Otherwise, margins would go up, 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 up. So we're seeing quite a bit of the competition heating up before our friends from Denver are going to show up, right? Right, right. So I have a couple questions, I think, going into you know T-Mobile reporting in a week or two. They talk a lot about the switching pool. And when we look at the total number of, of postpaid nets this quarter, we're already almost at the total industry figure for this time a year ago, right? And so I think the big question that I'm looking for going into you know when T-Mobile reports is how big is the switching pool really going to get? And how many of those are, are, are paid lines, right? So... Uh, a year ago, we had 170, 1.7 million postpaid net ads, and at 1.8, and we're now at 1.7 for this quarter already, but with just two of the big three reporting. So, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think about the switching pool or some things you're looking for as as we go into, you know, T-Mobile's reporting. Well, the switching pool seems to be increasing. You know, the number of gross ads increased, you know, at least for AT and T and Verizon by more than 2 million people. And that's quite a, quite a strong number. So it will be interesting to see with T-Mobile if everybody can be a winner, right? Traditionally, eh, we usually thought like, you know, we had two winners and one loser. But considering the, the traditional streak that T-Mobile has been on, it didn't seem to be, we could look at, you know, three winners. On the other hand, we've done the math, and to you and me, it looks a lot more that a lot of these that, that growth from T-Mobile comes from free lines. You know, we talked about it, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that I'm going to be really looking at, and I think you, you, you hit a little bit on it earlier, is the extent to which, you know, T-Mobile is or is not making progress in terms of business, right? So you mentioned that AT&T and Verizon were both a little light on business. It's probably not a coincidence that T-Mobile has seemed to, you know, take a newfound interest in, in the enterprise market. So I, I'm wondering if, is this just kind of a impact of you know, people snapping back to pre-pandemic work patterns and don't necessarily need data cards and things like that to work from home? Or is this a new normal whereby T-Mobile starts taking some share from some of the existing, you know, predominant business providers in Verizon ATT. Well, I would say so, right? Well, the SMB share is is pretty strong. I don't think they that there's that much more more to gain. But on the enterprise side, you know, the only way is up for them. I think you know that is a a source of of or should be a source of growth for them. 
and I'm looking forward to them, to T-Mobile, actually putting down numbers. The moment you don't give numbers, the moment I'm like, you're not material. Well, they've been they've been stuck for the last couple of quarters since they announced their new business initiative at 9% enterprise share is how they characterize it. So it'll be interesting to see if they're still at 9% or if they've, they've grown it by a few percentage points. We'll see. I'm looking forward to more, right? Yep. So the other thing I wanted to, to cover, and I think this might even warrant its own little module here, is the deal that Dish and AT&T inked last week. Can you talk a little bit about that roaming and transport deal? Well, it's a 10 plus two year deal where AT&T becomes, quote unquote, the primary roaming partner or a wholesale partner of Dish. And they committed to spending a minimum of $5 billion over that time. So it's $500 million a year. And AT&T gets a certain percentage of everything that Dish will add, right? And it also includes transport. So I would assume that, you know, the Dish sites in the AT&T 21 state footprint probably go with AT&T fiber that is in the ground or being built, right? But yeah, it allowed Charlie Ergen, the CEO of Dish, to basically poke one on the nose of of Mike Siebert from T-Mobile because things are getting contentious there, especially around the CDMA shutdown. Not not just contentious, but litigious, right? That too, you know. With Charlie Ergen, that's the same, right? He, You know, he's on the record saying he likes to sue people, which should always warn you if you want to do business with him. Do you want to do business with somebody who tells you, I like to sue people, right? So I'm waiting for that with AT&T at one point in time. So it allowed him to basically say, I don't need you. Right, because he already had a roaming deal with T-Mobile as part of the Sprint T-Mobile merger and the, the boost divestiture, right? Exactly. And for AT&T, it helps them build up their, their MVNO, the wholesale business again, because they used to be the biggest wholesale provider in the country. And then all that business, you know, maybe 2 million or so left from TrackPhone went, went to Verizon and, and other carriers. And so they're now down to 6 million, if I remember correctly. They were like as high as 20 million at one point in time. So their MVNO business was like in the process of going extinct. And this, this basically takes them off the endangered list. Right. And it helps to defray some of the loss that they're likely to see when, when the track phone deal closes and yeah. Verizon moves those, those subscribers off of AT&T's network as well. Exactly. And so for, for AT&T... Why not? It's $500 million a year that falls all the way from the revenue line onto the profit line. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that they characterized this on the call was that because there was a lot of pushback, I think, from industry observers around, you know, why would you help Dish? It's going to be a future competitor. And I think you know, what they had basically said is we think Dish is going to be successful no matter what. And we'd rather get a piece of that as opposed exactly. to being a direct competitor. Honestly, Ronan Dunn at Verizon had some, said something very similar with respect to the deal uh, with the cable companies, right? Is it's better if somebody's going to be in market to be that wholesale provider rather than competing directly without any sort of revenue stream coming from that. 
Correctly. And and if if these guys would not do business with the MVNOs, the regulators would come after them for foreclosing the market and being anti-competitive. It's in their best interest to have a, you know, interesting market where you have a suitable number of reasonably competitive and reasonably successful providers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if Charlie is not successful, they still make money, right? It's it's upside either way. And since Charlie had already, or, or Dish had already a deal with, with T-Mobile, he had a deal. And so the only question that existed was, who is profiting from the deal? T-Mobile and not AT&T or AT&T and not T-Mobile? Because Charlie was getting his wholesale lines one way or another. That ship has sailed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the contract that Dish has with T-Mobile obligates them to provide them with MVNO services, with gridded teeth and all of these things. But still, the lines would have been provided and revenue and uh, would have changed hands. The question is who? And AT&T said, like, well, I'd rather take it than T-Mobile have it. I think it's a perfectly rational deal from them because the ship has sailed that Dish has a wholesale partner. Right. Another part of that deal was potential use or AT&T's ability to ask Dish for use of some of their spectrum. And it wasn't clear if there were commercial terms attached to this or not, or there certainly weren't any public commercial terms attached to this. But Yeah, but that has a lot of of strings attached to it, right? Because A, the arrangement after the the pandemic where the FCC allowed DISH to lease Spectrum to AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon is still ongoing, right? That Spectrum hasn't been called back yet. Also, in the Stockdale letter, which governs the rules around the wholesale deal or that allowed DISH to buy Boost, DISH obligated itself not to wholesale more than, I think, one-third of its traffic to one of the big three carriers, no matter how much, how much wholesale traffic they generate. Right now, since they don't have a network up, they generate zero. So T-Mobile, uh, AT&T can have above and beyond what's already the deal with, with the pandemic, which should run out at some point in time, right? So great, AT&T can get one third of whatever dish is providing in Las Vegas and Florida. This only gets really interesting once Dish has actually built out based on what's written in that Stockdale letter. Right. And presumably, you know, they, they still are beholden to all the different requirements from the FCC in terms of percentage of pops covered in their initial uh, spectrum agreement. So it's not it's not a shortcut in the sense that they still need to build out their network. They're still on the hook for that. Yeah, of course. Just because they have a private arrangement with AT&T doesn't make the FCC go, oh, just do what you want now, right? The deal that Dish has with the FCC still stands. And the difficult part here is 
by what, June 14th, 25, they need to cover 75% of the population in every PEA. That's a heavy lift. The the 70% population coverage by what, 2023 is easy because the top 50 markets are like two thirds of the population. So you just cover that, whoop-de-doo, you know? Yeah, but at some point you're on the hook for building out cornfields somewhere, right? And that's when it gets really expensive and really tough. Yeah, exactly. That That's when it gets tough. And that's the lift for 2025. Once they, they generate then their traffic and, and capacity, they can wholesale or, or they can give spectrum and you and let let AT&T have some spectrum. But I don't think they, they, AT&T will get a nationwide swath. But like in in the markets where the most capacity constraint, they'll get like, you know, 5, 10 megahertz. That's it. Cool. Well, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, we'll definitely have to report back when T-Mobile reports in a couple of weeks. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I think there are a lot of open questions in terms of how this quarter is going to close out. Yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, Roger. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Thank you.